Would you turn please in the scriptures to Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter. Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 15. We've been on this subject for some weeks now and I want us to continue. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 15 and I'm reading from the Good News translation. The Lord said today I am giving you a choice between good and evil, between life and death. Who's given who a choice? God is given men, people, a choice. So if God gives you the choice, can you say, well, no, God, it's up to you? If, if the Lord says, you choose, can you say, well, it's just up to the Lord? Not if he said you choose. It's not up to him. Keep reading. Verse 16. If you choose, we might say, to obey the commands of the Lord your God, which I give you today. If you choose to love him and obey him and keep all his laws, then you will prosper. Do you know prosperity was God's idea? You don't have to try to talk him into it. It was his idea before you ever came along. Right? Say it out loud. Prosperity has always been God's idea. Men and religion have got off track, but God, God's always been big on prosperity. If you do it, you'll prosper. You'll become a nation of many people. The Lord your God will bless you in the land. That you're about to occupy. If you look at other verses. He said you'd live long. It'd go well with you. Verse 17. But if. If you choose something else. If you choose to disobey me. If you choose to refuse to listen to me. If you choose to go and worship other gods. Verse 18. You will be destroyed. Is there any difference between it going well with you, you're prospering, you're living long, and you're being destroyed? <laughs> Two totally different lives, right? You will not live long in that land across the Jordan that you're about to occupy, verse 19. I am now giving you the choice. Whose choice is it? Whether it goes well, you prosper, you live long, or whether your life is cut short, all these other things. Whose choice? God's choice. No, not God's choice. Man's choice. Our choice. I'm giving you the choice. How many believe the Word of God? What did He say? I'm giving you the choice between life and death. Between God's blessing and God's curse. Now you, now you might say, well, what sane person would choose curse and death? Nobody would choose that. Yeah, but if you choose to reject God and disobey him, that's what you chose Amen. is curse and death. And he goes on to say, man, this is, listen to the, how strong this language is. God says, I call heaven and earth to witness what's happening right now. This is significant. I call heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Why? Because in time to come, when people say all kind of ridiculous and, and untrue stuff about God, he can say, heaven, what did I say? 
They say, you said they choose. Earth, what did I say? You said they choose. If it's man's choice, why are so many people saying everything is God's choice? He said, I call heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. And then he even told you what to do. Let me tell you which one to pick now. Choose life. Choose me. Choose obedience. Choose my plan. Choose my way. Choose to obey. And in so doing, you're choosing life and prosperity and longevity and well-being. And, right? Amen. Now, in talking about this, we, we've dealt with some of the common mentalities and phrases among most Christians. And phrases that are banded around, and most everybody nods their head and agrees with them when people say, God is in control. God is sovereign. A lot of folks don't even know what that might mean, but they believe it. God is in control. And there are people get fighting mad if you act like you don't believe that 100%. Well, what do you mean? God is sovereign. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. God's in control of what? Everything. Everything? Everything. Everybody. Everybody. Everything. Everything. Really? Really? As I've said before, let's just start with you. God's in control of everything. He's in control of you. So that means everything you did yesterday, God was in control of it. Everything you said, everywhere you went, everything you bought, everything you watched, everything you ate. I mean, the, the, the fact that you ate raisin bran instead of cornflakes, God was in control. <laughs> really? Really? The Almighty was in control. No, listen, friends, there's a lot of untrue stuff has developed in church. Has been preached from pulpits. And people have taken pieces of scriptures and ignored 20 other scriptures and twisted things into something that the Lord didn't say and it's not true. I do believe God our Father is the Almighty God, creator of heavens and earth. I believe He is all knowing, I believe He is all powerful, I believe His purposes and His plans will stand. But that doesn't mean that God makes people do everything. And what if in his all power and all knowledge and wisdom, if in his wisdom and power, he chose to leave some things up to us, if he did, how can we blame him for our choices? How can we leave up to him what he left up to us? People are trying to. And when you say everything's God and everything's up to God, it's just not true. In Psalm 115 and 16, turn there please. Or they'll put it up on the screen for us. Psalm 115 and 16. 
Anybody remember the Lord's prayer so-called? The Lord teaching his disciples and us to pray? How did it go? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is he teaching us and them, them and us to pray that God's will would be done on the earth like it is in heaven? That must mean it's not being done. If it was already being done completely, there's no need to pray that it would be done. Think about it now. If everything that's happening already is the perfect will of God, why would you need to pray that God's will would be done? Notice this verse. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. You might say, well, don't we already know that? Everything is the Lord's. Mm, not necessarily. It is by right of creation. But what does the next phrase say? The earth, he has allowed men to live on. Huh? The earth, what? He has what? He has what? Given to the children of men. Now, if I give you a house and you destroy it, I gave it to you. It's not my house anymore. You won't keep it clean. You won't do anything to it. And somebody comes to visit you. And they say, this place is a disaster. What's wrong? You say, well, this is Keith's house. (laughs) Must be Keith's will for this house to be like this. No. I gave it to you. And you messed it up. And that's not my fault. That's exactly what's going on here. Did God or did he not give this earth to men? The heaven, even the heavens, is the Lord's. God is in complete control in heaven. How much crime they got up there? None. How much war and famine Disease and plague. How much? How much? Pain and suffering. How much? You know why? God really is in complete control. What about down here? All kind of problems. Right? All kind of difficult. All kind of pain and suffering. Why? Because he gave it to men. And men... Many of them influenced by the devil are running it. If men are in control, influenced by the devil, that would explain so much. Wouldn't it? Now, before it's all said and done, God's going to straighten it out. Right? And all the kingdoms are going to become his. He's going to rule and reign. You and I are going to rule and reign with him. But we must stop attributing all of the man and devil caused stuff on this earth to our good God. He's not doing it. It's not him. Do you believe it, saints? 
God is a good God. Do you believe he's a good God? And we must stop blaming him for the choices men have made. You hear people try to act wise and say, even when tragedy and terrible things happen, they say, well, God must have had some purpose. Right? Don't they say that? They say, well, you know, I just believe everything happens for a reason. Well, I don't doubt that, but the reason could be somebody made a dumb choice. Could have nothing to do with God. There's been a lot of wrong impressions left and a lot of wrong things said. God has been one of the most, I guess the most misrepresented malign persons of all time. Why? Because the devil does not want, especially people who don't know him yet, he does not want people to see how good God is. He wants people to believe that God is sending tornadoes and throwing babies into the woods and, and causing trucks to run over people and earthquakes to destroy. He wants people to believe all this stuff because that will keep them away from him. But when they really see how good he is and that that's not him, that's the devil, that's men, that's curse, it never was his will, he'll be there to pick up the pieces if you'll let him, Right? If you trust him, he'll keep it from happening to you. And the goodness of God will turn the masses to him and draw them to repentance. Do you believe it? So it's no wonder that the enemy has tried so hard to influence, even through preachers and churches, telling lies about God, misrepresenting him, maligning him. If you believe it, I want you to say it out loud. God is a good God. God Say it out loud. God is a good God. God God. My God God is the best. best. He's a good, good God. Good God. God. I like what Brother Oral Roberts said for decade after decade. He said, God is a good God. What else would he say? Something good is going to happen to you. Today, right? Huh? Why? Well, if God's influencing your life, something good is going to happen. He's a good God. If He ha- if God has His way, something good's going to happen. If something God happens, that was something good. Turn with me, please, to Luke, the thirteenth chapter. Luke thirteen. We looked at this before, but I want us to notice something that's so significant here. There are questions that people ask about, you know, tragedies, accidents, disasters. Why did it happen to these? And people said, well, maybe they, boy, they were just unlucky, you know, wrong place, wrong time. Or people try to be spiritual and go, well, you know, it's judgment. And you hear a lot of times if a tornado hits a place or a Hurricane or earthquake, you know, will God judge that place? And uh, that kind of simplistic statement uh, can just be absolutely wrong. We need to take what Jesus said about it and believe it. Jesus gives two examples. Very thing that we're talking about in this chapter in verse 1, Luke 13, 1. He said there were present at that season some that told Jesus 
of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now this is a, a cruel thing. I mean these guys were in the temple offering their animal sacrifices. Well they slaughter them and put the blood and that kind of and burn the bodies. Well Pilate sent people in there and uh, I guess his soldiers whoever and they slaughtered the people with the animals and their blood ran in the floor. And so every, people knew that. It was a horrible thing that had happened. And, and Jesus said in verse 2, he said, do you suppose? Why would he say, do you suppose? Because they were supposing. <laughs> do you suppose that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such things? What were people thinking? Boy, for something that bad to happen to you, you must have been, they must have been bad people. He said, do you think that they were, uh, in other translations say, worse sinners than anybody, all the other Galileans, because they suffered such things? Verse 3, what did Jesus say? No. What does nay mean? No. If Jesus said no, what should you say? No. Well, no, that ain't true. Why did that uh, tornado hit that place and, and kill those folk instead of those people next door? Well, they must have been bad people. No. Don't say things like that. No. But except you repent. Now Jesus takes the emphasis to this word. Everybody said out loud. Repent. repent. What's the key? Except you repent. You shall all likewise perish. Now this is a, a mind renewal. This is turning it completely upside down. Instead of us saying why did that bad thing happen? The reality is, why didn't it happen to everybody already? See, there is this misconception. Folks think they have a right to a happy, safe life. That is just like a right of birth. That everybody has a right to a safe, happy enjoyable, successful life. Why? Why would you? It's not true. The truth is, hear how excited everybody is? <laughs> the truth is, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. You don't deserve a happy, safe life. Nobody does. I said it's mind renewal. It's major mind renewal. But what is Jesus saying? He said, no, it's not because they were worse people than anybody else. But unless you repent, it could happen to any of you. Anytime. The earth is a very dangerous place. Do you know it? I mean, there's enough germs in the air you're breathing right now. To kill you a hundred times over before the week's out. Do you know it? There's enough toxins and junk in what you drink and what you eat to kill you any day of the week. There's enough crazy people on the highway. <laughs> no, have to be crazy. Just people not paying attention. Eating burgers and putting on makeup and texting to run over you 50 times. You don't understand what a miracle it is for you to make it from here back to the house without a scratch. It's miraculous. 
Lightning is striking thousands of times all over the world. All the, I mean, there's all kind of stuff going on. The earth is filled with curse and death and danger everywhere. It's not why did something bad happen to somebody. It's what do you need to do to keep it from happening to you? And the answer is repent. Read the rest of this passage. That is mind renewal, isn't it? Because most folks think they have a right to a perfect, safe life. It's just not true. <laughs> I know some. I hear some gears just kind of. <laughs> don't take my word for it. Search it out in the scriptures. He said, verse four. There was another situation that happened. He said, "Those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell, and slew them." It's just be like something you'd see on the news today. A, a building collapsed. And it fell on 18 people and killed them. And people say, man, wonder what happened to them. And that's when some even Christian preachers will go, well, God must have had some purpose in it. Really? God had a purpose in dropping a building on a, on a two-year-old. I tell you, no. Are y'all listening to me? No. God is not a killer. He's not a destroyer. He's not cruel. He's not mean. Do you believe it, saints? And it killed them. He said, do you think they were sinners? Worse than everybody else that that lived in Jerusalem? Because it fell on them instead of somebody else. What does he say? No, I tell you no. But again, what? Except you repent... You shall all likewise perish. The key to not being destroyed when other people are is repentance. The key to being kept and protected when destruction's all around you is repentance and faith. Goes with it. In first Peter, excuse me, I told you on second Peter, three and nine. Very significant things. Actually, this is one of the most significant messages you've heard this morning. I know that's a big statement. Second Peter 3 and 9. Second Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing what? So when people perish, How are you going to say that was God's will? When the Bible very plainly says, well, some, no, no, not any. How many believe the Bible? How many is God willing that they should perish? How many? Not any. He's not willing that any should perish. Everybody said out loud, God God is not willing. Does that mean it's not his will? It is not his will that any should perish. But what is his will that would happen instead? That all, A-L-L, everybody, how how are they going to keep from perishing? That they should come to repentance. Oh, repentance. Oh, repentance. Repentance is not appreciated. Like it should be. 
So many look at repentance as a negative thing. You need to repent. Oh, I have to repent. I should repent. No, friend. Repentance is a gift. Repentance is an opportunity to miss destruction. Repentance is one of the most wonderful things we've ever been given. Where other people are being consumed and devastated and destroyed, we can miss it entirely by repenting. Didn't the scripture say, if you judge yourself, what? You will not be judged. That's some of the best news you ever heard in your life, right? How many are all for not being judged, not being destroyed, not having problems? Let me give you some some of the definitions from the Greek words for repent. It's, It's not well understood in some circles. There's more than one word translated repent. And you ought not just take a half of a definition. You need to look at how the words are used in the scriptures and get a, get a composite, a full understanding of One of the words translated repent means to change. It means to change. It also means to turn from something. And turn to something else. Turn from wrong. Sin. Turn to God. It also means reversal. (laughs) 180. Reversal. One of the words means. To regret. To regret. With a godly sorrow. It's repentance is more than just a casual change of mind. Repentance involves the heart. It's a change of heart. Resulting in a change of life. Change of words and deeds. The Bible talks about works or fruits. Meat for repentance. If you really changed. It will show up in the way you live. Right? Do you believe that? You know, a perfect example of real repentance is Saul. Saul on the road to Damascus, breathing out threatenings, going to drag Christians out of their houses and lock them up and kill them. But he met somebody on the road. Didn't he? I mean, five minutes before, He's looking for some Christians to lock up and kill. And now he says, Lord, what would you have me to do? Right? Is that a reversal? Is that a heart change? Did it result in some changes in his life? He went from fighting the church to being the church's champion. Building the church. Right? Thank God for repentance. It's one of the most powerful things that there is. Go to Proverbs, the 29th chapter, please. Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29 and 1. It says, He that being often 
reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. The RSV says it like this. He who is reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. This is an unfixable situation. It's one of the saddest things that Phyllis and I have observed in the ministry. Absolutely one of the worst things that could happen to you is to become unrepentant. If you harden your heart and won't repent, you can get yourself in a place where nobody can help you. I mean nobody. Not even the Lord. Because if you won't yield to him, how can he help you? I've had the Lord tell me something supernaturally to tell someone some direction or some change. And I've had them look at me and I saw it. I, I saw it when they set their jaw. And they looked at me and they said, I don't care. I'm going to do that. My heart just sank because I thought, God. And you pray for them and you do what you know to do. But friend, I'm telling you, the scripture's true here too. He that hardens his heart, stiffens his neck, being often reproved, but won't yield and won't bend. What did the Bible say is going to happen? There will come a time where destruction is going to come swiftly. And it's not something you can fix. It's not something somebody else can fix. Was it God's will for the person? Was it God's choice for him? It was not. It was their choice not to repent. It's always about the heart. The external details are not the big deal. How many remember the Lord said, God doesn't look like man looks. Man looks on the outward appearance. God sees what? He sees right into the heart. And the biggest thing he's looking for, he, he knows you don't know everything. But he's looking for a willing heart. That you are willing to hear him and receive what he's saying. And you're willing to change. Look with me in the book of Acts. How many would like to avoid future destruction and problems? Would you? Huh? How are you going to do it? Repentance is a very big key. Do Christians ever need to repent? Yes. <laughs> I said, do, would Christians ever need to repent? Yes. I hear folks laughing like, well, yeah. Many places the Bible tells Christians to repent. In Revelation, have you read in the Lord's messages to the church? One of the recurring messages was repent. To the church at Ephesus, he says, repent and do the first works. I'm going to remove your candlestick out of its place unless you repent. To the church in Pergamos, repent. To the church in Sardis, repent. The church in Laodicea, repent. He went on to say, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, so be zealous and repent. Is he writing to the churches? Yes. Christians. Yes. The Christians need to repent. Yes. 
Yeah, if your heart's not right, need to repent. What does it mean to repent? It's not just a casual change of thinking. It's a heart change. And it includes some regret with godly sorrow. Now, you're not supposed to stay in sin consciousness, but you think about Saul. Is he born again on the road to Damascus? Yeah. He says, Lord, who are you? Then he says, what do you want me to do? Right? But do you think those three days and nights that he can't see and he's sitting in that place and he realizes he's been fighting against the Lord Jesus, do you think he was happy about that? No. Now the Lord helped him. He got past that, believed he was forgiven, believed he was cleansed, right? But he was not nonchalant about that like that's no big deal. Acts. Eight and verse 13. There was a man in this town called Simon who's a sorcerer. He had bewitched the people, the Bible said, with all of his magic tricks. But, Acts 8 13, Simon followed them and saw what they did, and he believed what the apostles were preaching, and when he was baptized. He continued with Philip. Uh, Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. saved. Is Simon saved? Yeah, he is. If he's not, how about you? He believed the gospel and he's baptized. And he wondered, beholding the miracles and signs that were done. He was just amazed because he's been hocus pocus, razzle dazzle. And now he sees this guy's with the real thing. And this is just amazing him. And then when they came and laid hands on people and they got filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues, he thought, I got to have that. (laughs) And he offered them money. How many of you can be born again and still be dumb? (laughs) Is that right? I mean, your mind has not been renewed. (laughs) You're a baby Christian. You're alive. But you got a lot to learn. And he offers Peter. How many think offering Peter money was a bad idea? <laughs> and boy, Peter let him have it. Now, you know, we shouldn't be cruel and hard. But did you know sometimes we need to be stern with people? To let them know how serious something is. We do a disservice to people by acting like everything's no big deal. And sometimes just like your mom and daddy. That love you and are helping a child. Sometimes they need to raise their voice and say, no, baby, no. Why? Because you don't want to get burned up or run over in the street, right? And you don't want to put fear in people. But you sometimes you need to be strong and stern to let people know how serious it is. Anyhow, verse 20. Peter said, your money perish with you. Because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. For what? Your heart is not right in the sight of God. Is he a believer? Is his heart not right? Yeah. So what's the solution? Verse 22. What's the solution? Repent. Repent is the solution. And if you repent, you get a different outcome than what was going to happen. 
Go to the book of Jonah. One of the greatest stories, accounts of repentance. In fact, let me encourage you that uh, maybe sometime this week, take a few minutes and read Jonah again. Four short chapters, just four little short chapters. You'll see it's a story of repentance and mercy. In Jonah, the first chapter, Jonah 1 and 1, what does it say? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and he said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And so naturally, Jonah got him a ticket and got on a boat and went somewhere else. (laughs) Didn't he? And without reading all of it right now, you know the story. Man, they got in a storm. And it got worse. And it got worse. And they're asking each other, what's going on? Why are we having so much trouble? And Jonah told them, it's me. It's me. At least he was honest, right? I mean, they said, what, what do we got to do to fix this? He said, you got to throw me overboard. And they said, No. And so the Bible said they rode harder and tried to get somewhere and it just, they're spinning their wheels. Finally, they said, okay, God, uh, don't hold this against us. And they threw him overboard. <laughs> and the Bible said God had prepared a great fish and it swallowed him up. I heard somebody the other day mocking, saying, you know, ain't no way a man lived in a whale or a great fish or anything. It said God prepared him. And I reckon you could live in a volcano if God prepared it. with me, He created everything. <laughs> Anyhow, he's in there. And what did Jonah do, you think, those three days and nights in the belly of that great fish? What happened? He repented. Didn't he? He had a change of heart and a change of mind. Didn't he? Among other things, don't you know, he said, God... If you will get me out of here, I will go to Nineveh. I will pre I'll do some of the best preaching you ever heard. God, if you get me out of here, I repent. And so God spoke to the fish and this fish puked him up. Don't you know he was a sight? <laughs> Coming up off the shoreline. Oh man, he must have smelled bad. And looked bad. But what did the Bible say he did? Huh? Uh, go to the third chapter. 3 and verse 4. Jonah began to enter to the city a day's journey. He started preaching. 40 days! <laughs> and Nineveh's going to be overthrown. What does overthrown mean? We're talking about a Sodom and Gomorrah event. A huge city. And why is he saying it? Because God told him to go say it. Right? This place is about to be wiped off the map. He's a, like we said, such a picture to see. Who is he? Where is he from? And he's hollering, 40 days! This place is going to be wiped off the map. And we know from reading other verses, he don't want to be there. It suit him fine if they're wiped off the map. He don't like Nineveh. Why did he run to start with? We're going to see in just a minute. (laughs) 
you got to remember he wasn't even born again. Sometimes we have, you know, he didn't have the love of God shed abroad in his heart. (laughs) Verse 5. Now here's an amazing thing. The people of Nineveh believed God from this stinky, pitiful looking preacher in the street. Isn't that amazing? They heard it. This Nobody knows who he is. I guess. No, no reason to say that they do. Either way, they believe it. And proclaim a fast. And the word spreads over the whole town. From the greatest to the least. They put on sackcloth. Verse 6. The word came to the king. He got off his throne. He put his robe aside. He put on sackcloth. He sat down in the ashes. What are they doing? What are they doing? They're repenting. They're repenting. Keep going. He published it. He said, nobody eat anything. Nobody drink. We're going to fast. Everybody's going to fast. Cows going to fast. Dogs going to fast. Everybody. This is serious. We got to repent. Did he say it? (laughs) Oh, friend, I, I know some of this sounds humorous. But if a whole nation is in jeopardy, about to be destroyed, if a whole county or a whole city, this is the way. If there's major depression, if there's major economic woe, if there's major drought, come on, are you listening to me? Any of these things, if everybody in the county would show up at the church and bow down and humble themselves and repent... If everybody in the country would show up and repent, I'm telling you, heaven and earth would move. God would change things. What does the scripture say? If my people, who? My people that are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and do what? Turn. Isn't that repentance? Turn from their wicked and evil ways. What did he say? I'll hear I'll forgive. I'll heal. How many believe the Lord keep his word? What's the key here? What's the key to not being destroyed? Repent and believe God. Keep going. Verse 8. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Cry mightily to God. And let everybody turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. What is this? Repentance. 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 Verse 9. Who can tell if God will turn and repent? Oh, are you hearing something? I want to say something that may sound too strong to you, but it's the truth. If man repents, God repents. I know that don't sound right to your religious ears, but I'm reading scripture. Keep reading. Who can tell if God will turn and repent? And turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. Keep going. Verse 10. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God did what? They repented. And he repented. He was well, God is not a man that he should repent. And God cannot change. I know. That's true too. God does not need to change. And he never will change character wise but he will change his dealings with men 
according to how they do. Let me read another scripture to you along this line. Isn't this a powerful truth? Isn't this an amazing thing? Jeremiah 18. You don't have to turn there. But Jeremiah 18. 8. The Lord said. If the nation against whom I have pronounced. Turn from their evil. I will repent of the evil. I thought to do to them. Verse 10. If they do evil in my sight. Don't obey my voice. Then I will repent of the good. Wherewith I said I would benefit them. Jeremiah 26. And uh, 3. 26 3. He had told his man to go speak his words to his people. He said, if so, Jeremiah 26, 3, that they will hearken and turn every man from his evil way, that I may repent me of the evil which I purpose to do to them because of the evil of their doings. Why did he send Jonah to them? He didn't want them to, he never wanted them destroyed. Right? He wants them to change so that he can change what's going to happen to them. Oh, saints, can you see this? Listen to the Amplified. Jeremiah 26, 3 Amplified. He said it may be, in other words, if they'll listen to my words and turn every man from his evil way, that I may relent and reverse my decision concerning the evil that I purpose to do to them because of their evil doings. If they'll repent, I can reverse what's going to happen to them. Is this significant, saints? Everything is not set in concrete. That it has to be this way. God doesn't want any. He's not willing that any should perish. But what's necessary for people not to perish? They have to repent. Can you say amen? They have to repent. When your heart's not right. And you're confronted with it. You have a choice. Between two options. When your heart's not right and you're confronted. You go one of two ways. You either harden your heart. And resist. Or. You humble yourself. And repent. You either stiffen your neck, set your jaw, and say, No, I ain't, and you can't make me. (laughs) And if you do that, and being often reproved, keep doing it long enough, what the Bible says will happen. You will be destroyed without anybody being able to fix it. May it not be. But, If you'll humble yourself. Somebody say humble yourself. yourself. How many think we ought to be ready? Quick. To humble ourselves. Quick to repent. Quick and willing to change. Quick. I know in the early part of our ministry. Helping Brother Hagen at the healing ministry there at Ramah. uh, I studied. For year after year. Those that were used mightily in healing in previous generations. And as I did and got more into it and found out more about it, I saw that person after person of those used mightily in miracles and healings got off at the end of their life and, and died young and, and died wrong. And, and Brother Hagen knew some of these folk and knew some of the details about it and 
Some of them were his contemporaries. And, and as I got more into it, I, I thought, man, these people, knew, they knew about God. In reading after them, I could tell they knew things I didn't know. They had experiences I hadn't had. And the miracles and the healings, amazing signs and wonders. And yet, they got so off, they got so messed up in some things, and got cut off, died young, died wrong, led people astray. It began to weigh on my heart and mind. And I prayed about it week after week. And I remember one day coming into the speaker's room and I just fell over in the floor and I said, God, how can I keep from missing you over the course of my life? I mean, it ain't, it's not about being smarter. These people are brilliant. I can tell it by reading it. It's not about, you know, that I know more than they do. I, I can see I don't. How can I? And I, I reached my heart out to him. He spoke to my heart laying there on the floor. I don't mean I heard a voice, but inside me. These phrases. He said, pride makes you susceptible to deception. Amen. Obadiah 3 says, this is me talking now, the, the pride of your heart has deceived you. Pride makes you susceptible to being deceived. And this is the phrase that just burned in my heart that he said after that. He said, your humility is your protection from deception. Humility. Well, a big part of humility is being teachable. Right? Being teachable, correctable, instructable. The other was, wasn't like an inner voice to me. It just these thoughts begin to come to my mind. And he began to remind me of things I had heard and seen. Uh, one individual that I had in my mind. He brought to my remembrance. He said, I sent men by him. I sent his own elder to him. To talk to him about this. And I remembered Brother Hagen. He knew something about it personally. This particular individual. And he did. If I called his name, you'd know the books and you know stuff. He came to this man. He's his elder. And he told this man, he said, I've never seen anybody operate in this ministry like you. The anointing, the gifts. He said, but you're trying to minister something over here in this area that you don't know anything about. And it's confusing people and leading people astray. And he tried to talk to him about it. And the guy said, no, I don't care. That's what I'm going to do. And the Lord dealt with me. He said, I, I'm going to help you. That's when I started saying, maybe you've heard it, me say it before. It's when I started saying, God's going to help me. He loves me. If, I, if I'm not getting it, he'll tell me again. And if I'm not getting it, he'll crank up the volume. And if I'm not getting it, he'll send four people across my path. And they'll, they need to, they'll grab me by the shoulders and go, Keith, hey, hey. That's not the issue. God is faithful. God is good. He will do that. What is the issue? Will you listen? Will you harden your heart and resist? Or will you humble yourself and repent? I've seen it with folks before. I've had people look at me and, and you know, I, I don't do this kind of thing all the time. I've had the Lord send me to people, send me to their house. And have me say, if you do this, if you go this way, and they had me tell one man, if you do this, you're going to lose your, your, your marriage, you're going to lose your family, you're going to lose your ministry. And he looked me in the eye and said, I understand. 
But I'm going to do it. Your heart just sank. Because he had told me in years past, man, if you ever get anything, tell me. And if you ever get anything. A lot of folks say that, but if it actually happens, it's a different thing. And exactly what the Lord said. It wasn't me. The Lord said it. It happened. He lost all those things. And more. Why? If you harden your heart. You stiffen your neck. I'm not going to. You can't make me. What will happen? You'll be destroyed. Suddenly. And something that nobody can fix. But. If you'll judge yourself. You won't be judged. You, if you'll humble yourself. If you'll be quick. To repent. I don't know sometimes. You need to stick your nose in the carpet. You just need to, to get in the floor. And go God forgive me. Forgive me. I, I'm, I will change. Somebody needs to practice that right now. When's the last time you said that you know. That's too long for some folks. Come on. Come on are you, let's practice it. Everybody practice it. I am willing to change. I will change. I will change. That willingness, that readiness, that tenderness of heart, that choosing to change, it'll cause God to be able to flow to us in grace and mercy. Judgment averted. Come on, think about it. A whole city on the brink of being wiped out in a few hours' time, their future totally changed. Not one person, not one animal destroyed. The whole place spared. Why? Because somebody repented. Here's a man destroying the church. Just like that. He's a champion of the church. Why? He repented. He repented. So many things could have been different already if folks would have repented. But it's not too late. So many things can be different for tomorrow. What did the Lord say? If they repent, I repent of what's going to happen. Stand on your feet, everybody, and let's pray this prayer. Let's release our faith. Close your eyes. Oh, thank you, Lord. Actually, I moved just a little bit too quick. Open your eyes again. Put up 2 Timothy 2.25 on the screen. The Lord's led me numerous times to act on this and also to pray this for others that you can see are going the wrong way. He said, in meekness instruct those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will do what? Give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Pride won't admit the truth. Humility will. Pride makes excuses. Humility makes adjustments. 
If God will give them repentance. Repentance is a gift. Isn't it? A gift. To the acknowledging of the truth. And what would happen as a result? Verse 26. That they may recover themselves. Out of the snare of the devil. Who are taken captive by him at his will. I said something first service. I don't think I'd ever said before. About this. When you repent. The devil loses his grip. Can you see that? When a person repents. The devil loses his hold. He loses his grip. In their life and their place. If you harden your heart. And you stiffen your neck. God resists the proud. You get no help. But what about the humble? He gives grace. To the humble. And with enough grace, you can be a shattered, broken shell. No strength, no power, not know which way to go. And the grace of God can infuse you and lift you up and cause you to know and cause you to be able. People can be ready to mark off your name and kick you out of the door and never call you again. And if you'll repent, the grace of God can cause them to look at you again the next day and go, you know, come on back. Somebody say grace, grace, grace. But man, if you get smarty tongued, you get up in your leaders' faces and elders and you tell them what you're not going to do. Oh, friend, oh, friend, you can be destroyed suddenly when nobody can fix it. Close your eyes and lift up your hearts and lift up your hands. Say it out loud, Father God. I believe in you. I believe in your goodness. You are completely fair, just, good, all the time. Your words are true. True about these things. I ask you to forgive me for every time I was stubborn. Hard-headed, unrepentant, refused instruction. Forgive me. I don't want to be like that. I choose not to be like that. And I ask you for the gift of repentance. And I thank you for the opportunity to avoid destruction. And I say, teach me. And I'll receive it. Correct me. And I'll receive it. Use whoever you want to. I'll receive it. And I will. Yield to you. And respond to you. And be tender hearted. And willing. And I thank you. For sparing me. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.